0: Hey, everyone. Today's show is part two of a two-part series where I'm going to continue discussing the skills needed to be a good investigator in human resources and employee relations. And specifically, I'm going to discuss the need for critical thinking skills and organization and time management skills.
1: Welcome to the HR Investigations podcast, exploring the issues, challenges, strategies, and solutions. Sponsored by RPCHR, and hosted by Natalie Ivey, an HR consultant, licensed PI, and author of the best selling book, How to Conduct Internal Investigations A Practical Guide for Human Resource Professionals. And now, here's Natalie.
0: Hey everyone, and welcome to today's show. In my last show, I discussed important skills to work as an investigator in the HR or employee relations profession. And in that one, I talked about conflict management, assertiveness, Having to maintain composure. And we also talked about keyboarding and note taking skills. In today's show, the final skills I want to talk about are critical thinking and organizational and time management skills. So let's start out with critical thinking. And why do I want to start there? Well, I've had a lot of conversations, especially over the last few years with some senior HR and employee relations executives. This is an area where they tell me that a lot of their team members are lacking. Let's first get clear on what critical thinking is and why is this such a necessary skill if you're going to work as an investigator. Well, critical thinking is really the ability to effectively analyze information and be able to form a judgment. But in order for you to really think critically, you have to be aware of your own biases and assumptions. And when you're encountering, you know, particularly information, uh, an employee or a manager shares some things, sometimes you may have your own filters on. Like uh, I had an employee named Maxine that was a frequent flyer, chronic complainer. So I know some of you, especially in an HR role where you wear dual hats, you're handling some of the day-to-day HR stuff, but then when an employee relations issue comes up that needs investigating, you're supposed to handle that too. Well, it's kind of hard for you to let go of some of your feelings day-to-day when let's say you've been dealing with Maxine, who seems to complain about anything and everything you see the employee coming and you're like, oh, here it goes. Here's Maxine again. Okay, that is a problem because that's causing you to allow some of your biases to sneak in. Now, I know it's hard to separate that, but this is why we're bringing this up. And the other thing that we have to do in critical thinking is really be able to identify credible sources. Right. In other words, we have to be able to look at interviewees and determine, is this person really credible? We have to evaluate that. We've got to be able to then respond uh, when someone poses a particular argument, or they're sharing information, perhaps trying to lie and say something that's not factual. Uh, we have to very quickly synthesize that information, evaluate it, and then, you know, assess, um, you know, perhaps an alternate viewpoint, you know, and then we have to really test our hypothesis around relevant criteria, right? So, you know, that's kind of a, a textbook example, if you will, but let's kind of break it down and let, let's let talk about the, the key elements in critical thinking. One of the first things that you have to do if you're working as an investigator, you have to understand what the heck are what's the problem when the employee is coming forward and, you know, let's, let's say his name is Fred and uh, Fred is really, really unhappy with the supervisor. And let's say the supervisor's name is uh, Cassandra. You know, Fred is just really upset over the way Cassandra speaks to him and let's say over a work assignment. So this is probably one of those just regular old conflict management scenarios where you might need to offer a little bit of coaching and guidance to the employee. So this is you know where you are going to apply a little bit of critical thinking, but it's not rising to the level of a formal investigation. Let's say you continue the conversation with Fred, then you learn the specific things that Cassandra said. And maybe Cassandra really made some remarks that you now think, oh, this might be crossing the line, All right. Maybe she used a a racial term or she made a, a very abrupt and abrasive comment that could potentially violate your uh, respectful workplace policy or something like that, All right? So what your job is at the beginning here is using those critical thinking skills to really identify kind of w- what's happening and why, and, and am I making any kind of assumptions? okay? second thing is then investigating opinions and arguments. Like, you know, sometimes it's it's important to overcome some of your emotions. Um, it's, it's difficult, again, when you're dealing with some chronic complaining employees for you to have already your own opinion that there is nothing to this. You have to overcome that common barrier uh, because if you're constantly thinking that it's just the employee who is a problematic employee, well, maybe the third complaint, there really is merit to it you brush it off and then that complaint turns later into an EEOC charge and you really didn't do anything about it. That's a danger. Another thing you have to do uh, very effectively is analyze information factually. That means weigh information from all sources coming to your conclusion. This is part of the evidence collection process and investigations. Uh, it's not only testimonial evidence when you're talking with people, but it's also gathering evidence. Could be from various systems like badge access reports. Uh, assessing when someone entered the parking garage, uh, looking at time and attendance records, FMLA documents, VPN logs. I mean, there are a variety of things that you can be looking at to gather evidence, but you're really looking at information from all sources and then drawing some conclusions. You then have to really look at the significance and the relevance. Uh, what's most important? And also removing things that have no relevance at all. And I could tell you there are a lot of times when you get with a, a particular individual, especially a complainant, They sometimes will dredge up ancient history and uh, they're commenting on uh, a problem that they had with a manager two years ago and that has absolutely no relevance to their complaint. So you have to learn how to do what I call sifting a bit more and identify what is most relevant. It could be the uh, specific time that the employee came into the office and other employees that were there at that time, that might be much, much more relevant than trying to talk about a poor performance review they received two years ago from a manager that no longer works at the company, right? So you've got to sift out stuff that really isn't important. And sometimes that's difficult. One of the complaints I hear from a lot of executives that work in HR and employee relations particularly is that investigators just go down what's called the rabbit hole, where you just continue to focus on other things that have nothing to do with the complaint itself. So you know, if an employee um, you know is alleging that the boss is harassing them, but then they go on and they begin to talk about um, you know a conflict that they have with another coworker, okay, don't go down the rabbit hole with the conflict with the coworker right now. That's not really relevant. You need to stay on the track with the complaint of harassment involving the boss. <clears throat> That's what you need to get to the bottom of. So you've got to really set other things aside. Again, being able to sift and then establish what is significant and relevant. And then also be open-minded consider all points of view and sometimes what that means is just not always taking the darn manager side now a lot of you who are wearing dual hats you're an hr business partner hr generalist but you're also challenged with employee relations stuff it's difficult sometimes for you to maybe go against the grain meaning that you have maybe some really valid testimony from an employee who is complaining about how a manager or supervisor treats them and yet you're kind of wanting to side with the manager on it and really not substantiate what the employee is saying because you're a little worried about the fallout perhaps and the conflict that you may have with the manager when you might have to provide some feedback that maybe the manager is in the wrong, all right? So this is a problem and this is why I said in my previous podcast you have to really be comfortable in this job with conflict management because you're going to encounter it uh, pretty much throughout your role as an investigator. You have to really get good at managing through that. So, another aspect of critical thinking is reflecting and synthesizing information. Um, you know, you've got to be decisive, and it also requires time. This means that it ties also into some things on time management. And I'll discuss that here in a little bit. But you've really got to have time to sit back, reflect, and evaluate what it is that this is telling you. Now, one of the the problems that um, you know is discussed often when I'm brought in and and I consult with organizations on uh, putting in uh, investigation procedures, and I do a lot of training, you know, all over the world actually, but primarily in the U.S. But um, I do a lot of training with teams, and what I hear from senior executives is that they say, Natalie, we struggle with our team just not being able to evaluate what the answers tell them. In other words, when someone tells you a response to a question, you have to then learn, do I have to probe a little bit more on that? It isn't just ask a question, just write the answer down, not ask a question, write the answer down. It's what does that answer tell you? And this is part of the critical thinking. You have to sit back, reflect, take the time, synthesize it, and then at that point, formulate what should that next question be? You know, like um, an example of that would be, Let's say um, you know, there's an allegation of uh, a harassment um, harassment complaint, allegation that a supervisor is engaging in, uh, let's say, making sexual advances toward uh, another direct report, and uh, it's reported by a coworker. So not the person who's aka the victim, but it's reported by another coworker. So the coworker says, "Hey, I think this is what's going on." Well, what leads you to believe that's what's going on? What facts do you have that supports that? Um, And then if they say, oh, well, you know, I actually uh, overheard them talking the other day and it really sounded like the boss was coming on to her. Okay, well, again, what leads you to believe that? Don't just take that at face value. You've got to dig a little bit deeper. And then if they say, well, I overheard the boss say X, Y, Z to the employee. Okay, how far away were you when you heard that, right? And you really need to make sure that they're being factual with you. But then later, if you uh, you talk with the employee uh, that is, quote, the victim, uh, who's been allegedly on the receiving end of, of the manager's affections, you know, and then that employee shares something entirely different. Well, it could very well be that the person who complained has an ulterior motive. Okay, so then let's ask ourselves, well, what would their motive be? You see, that's part of the critical thinking process. Then go back and look for information. Oh, isn't it interesting? This employee was just passed over for a promotion and the employee that she's alleging is quote the victim is let's say the one who got the job and now the employee is trying to also get even with the manager by trying to set him up for harassment because she's ticked that she didn't get selected, you see? So there's a lot of times, you know, situations like this where there are hidden agendas and you have to be able to use these critical thinking skills uh, to do that. So it's, it's asking a question, getting an answer, but what in the heck does the answer actually tell you, All right? then also we've got to then communicate findings. And this means that you've got to be factual. And when you're presenting to leadership, you've got to communicate that with them and you've also got to follow up with parties involved. And that means getting back together with a complainant and always following up at least a week after a particular case is closed. Even employee relations issues that didn't result in a formal investigation, always a good idea just to follow up with those individuals, just to make sure that there's nothing else that is going on where you might need to get involved. But critical thinking is something that I recommend uh, if you are interested in a career in human resources and you're also interested specifically in an investigative role, I would recommend taking some college classes, maybe taking uh, like some uh, Udemy courses or, you know, some other seminars or things to really help you to develop those, those skills because they really are important. Now, I've discussed critical thinking. Let's move on to organizational and time management skills. So first of all, why do investigators need to be able to manage their time well and be organized? Well, I can tell you, if you're going to move into what I call the big leagues and work for a larger, perhaps a global organization, you know, maybe they have 15, 20,000 employees and I'm talking global, If you're in employee relations, you may very well be handling 8, 10, possibly even 12 cases at a time. Now, that's extraordinary, but I would say um, it's pretty common that you're handling at least four to six at a time. Well, uh, that means that you're at various stages in each investigation. You might have one case open where you just finished interviewing a complainant and you're just putting together a game plan and another where you're about to write the final report and you're getting ready to sit down and discuss findings with leadership. Right, So you're at varying stages here and you've got to figure out how you're going to navigate handling all of these cases. So how do you improve your skills around this? Okay, well, first of all, number one is you have to safeguard what I call your own capacity. What that means is that if you are someone who's wearing multiple hats in HR right now and you're handling day-to-day stuff like time attendance, performance issues, payroll, FMLA, benefits tracking, and uh, open enrollment and you know all that stuff, but then you have to toggle over and handle an ER issue when it comes up. I can tell you that I talk with a lot of HR professionals out here, and I I talk with about probably three to four thousand every year because of speaking engagements and continuing ed stuff I do and just interacting with with clients. And I can tell you that there are a lot of folks in HR right now that are over capacity. They are stretched beyond what is really reasonable and might be currently doing the work of one and a half to two full-time equivalents. So here's the problem. If you're going to really handle investigations, you have to have the capacity to be able to do it and to do it effectively, which is why also a lot of organizations are centralizing employee relations roles because HR just doesn't have the bandwidth, if you will, which is the same thing as capacity. All right so to be effective you have to recognize it is not normal for you to consistently be working 60 plus hours a week all right that's ridiculous um it really is it's ridiculous and unfortunately this is almost becoming the norm your work-life balance is is non-existent all right so you've got to guard your capacity and if you realize right now what i've just said that that is you then you're going to need to do a time study you're going to need to figure out where your time is going and look at the volume of employee relations issues you're getting involved in. And if you're currently not documenting that, you should be because you've gotta have the analytics to support how many issues and quantify it before you can really plead your case that you need more resources in your department, right? So in a previous podcast, I talked about this. So just look at my previous episode on using case management. All right, the other thing is to improve your time management and organization. I do recommend working with a case management system, whether it's something you use internally or you use uh, a software like I use. I use HR Acuity uh, or iSight, which is uh, another one that's out there that's a competing product to HR Acuity. But when you are utilizing a case management system, all of your investigative documents are in one central place. You're working with standardized documents, templates uh, and the standardized report, all your policies are in one place. And that also allows for your organization of your evidence and uploading all your evidence in one place. I can tell you that if you're using Word documents and Excel sheets, you're probably losing a lot of time and you're moving data from one thing to another and also you are probably losing stuff. You misplace a file, you can inadvertently tuck a Word document into a wrong file and now you're scrambling to try to find interview notes from an interview that you did this morning. Okay, That kind of stuff. Um, So, you've really got to create some kind of centralized system with where you're keeping all of your stuff that's going to help you tremendously and then the third recommendation I have here to improve your time management and your organization is to control your interviews you need to be working with a structured interview template and know what you're going to ask an interviewee before you even get in front of them whether in person or virtually and by working with that template what you're doing is controlling the flow of the questions and therefore the control of the responses Then later on, when you're pulling together a summary of what a witness shared, it's going to have a lot more of a logical flow. You're going to spend a lot less time cleaning up, if you will, your notes. And then if you're using a structured template, you're also controlling the interview so it's not going to get off track. Remember, you control the interview, not the interviewees. And that in and of itself is going to help you to work much more efficiently so your day does not get away from you. All right. Now, lastly, Um, You want to make sure from an organizational standpoint that you're blocking your calendar after every single interview. You need to have time to synthesize your notes into a summary. What you don't want to do is wait until the end of the day to pull together your notes. So let's say you have uh, your template with questions and then you've typed your answers. So question and answer, question and answer. You might have five, six, seven pages of that. Don't wait until the end of the day to go back and pull that together. Why? You're not going to remember some of your shortcuts. And I do it. Other investigators I've known for years, we, we do it. We have our own kind of shorthand. We're choppy, keyboarding, taking notes. And I know what those things mean. But even for me, I always allow 40 to 45 minutes after every single interview, I block my calendar. It is uninterrupted time. Nobody's gonna bump me because I need that time to synthesize what it is I just learned. That one tip right there is gonna help you so much because what happens if you don't do this and you've done three, four interviews back to back to back, by the time you get to about three or four o'clock, you're exhausted, you're tired, you may have to scoot out of the office early because you're having to pick up kids. And even if you're working at home virtually, a lot of you have family obligations. And when you get toward the end of the day, number one, you're tired. Number two, you have other obligations that are are gonna start you know, evading your consciousness where you're going to be distracted. You're thinking, oh yeah, I've got to stop by the store. Oh, I have to pick up kids up at soccer. And oh, I've got, oh man, I've got to do this. What happens is you're a bit scatterbrained and you are not as focused. And then if you try to go back and pull your notes together from a meeting you had at nine o'clock, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. You're going to put it off. And then what happens tomorrow, you'll come back to the office. You have a full calendar and then another day has gone by. So now it's like the third day. Now you're dreading having to go back and pull together your notes, you're procrastinating because you know it's going to be time consuming. Well, guess what? It is now going to be twice to three times as time consuming because you're going to have to pause, stop, start, try to remember what it was that you did two, three days ago. Don't do that, right? That's probably one of the best tips I can possibly share with you from my experience is you've got to block time after every single interview. And also don't do more than four interviews in a day. Honestly, it's too much. You really want to pace yourself. I would recommend two to three at the very outside, uh, but that's a very full day. By the time you get to even the third, that's a very, very long day. You know, Each one could be an hour, hour and a half, two hours. It really just depends on the circumstances in a particular case, uh, but you really need to pace yourselves. Um, now, if I have to travel and work on site, do I have to have a very long day? Some days, yes, but that's because I'm an external PI and I have to maximize my travel time for my clients and my on-site time. So sometimes I will have to do four in a day. It's a grueling day. Um, But even with that said, I space it out and I'm going to block my time after every interview. Okay, so to summarize the skills needed to be a good investigator from both part one and part two episodes here. All right, great conflict management skills. You've got to be comfortable with that. You have to be assertive and be able to maintain composure. Don't get sucked into the drama and allow yourself to be emotionally compromised by what interviewees are telling you. You've got to have excellent keyboarding and note-taking skills. Work on it. If you're not very good at typing, start taking some classes. Right, improve your keyboarding skills, and it will improve your your efficiency. Critical thinking and analytical skills. You've got to have a strong grasp of the U.S. laws and your organizational policies that mirror the laws. Your job is to use those critical thinking skills to evaluate the behaviors that are being discussed in a particular case, such as allegations of harassment or discrimination and then compare and contrast the behaviors that have been discussed in the case, particularly around the subject, and bounce that against your policies to identify if misconduct has taken place and also to evaluate the seriousness of a case. Is your organization right now in jeopardy of violating US law? Yikes, right? You've gotta know that. Also time management and organizational skills and great keyboarding, that's gonna help you tremendously. All right, case management. Whether you do something internally that IT builds for you or you go out and you purchase some software, I really wanna recommend that in this day and age with the volume of cases that are happening in organizations, you really need to stop doing the Microsoft Word and the Excel sheet kind of stuff. Like this this is very much a 1990 strategy in a very complex 2023 world, right? We've really got to get better at that. And then remember, block yourself on your calendar, uninterrupted time and pace yourself for your interviews. Okay, so that's it for part two in this series. I hope you've learned some valuable tips. And if you are in need of some professional development training and you need to work on improving your skills and conducting investigations, you know where to find me. You can email me, natalie at hr-investigations.com or you can just go to my website, hr-investigations.com and uh, you can fill out the contact page. I look forward to seeing you back at another one of the HR Investigations podcasts. Until next time, gang, see ya.
1: Thanks for joining us today on the HR Investigations podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share the show with any colleagues who will benefit from our strategies and solutions. For free bonus resources, simply visit hr-investigations.com. And remember, if you'd like some help with improving your investigative skills or if your organization is in need of an external investigator to help with the case, please get in touch with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.